Uh, I'd like to try to get back on track with our uh, announced topic for the year. We've done so much about the Chagim in the last few weeks, and uh, we do have what to talk about, Yom Yerushalayim this week, and next week, Chag HaShavot. Nevertheless, <coughs> this week, Parshat Bechukotai, it affords us a rare opportunity to focus on a lengthy section in the Ramban. When I say lengthy, what I have on the page on the first side broken down into five parts, is an abbreviated version of the very, very long section of the Ramban. Ramban, as opposed to Rashi, who writes with great brevity, Ramban is very expansive, and um, it takes a lot of patience to get through a full section of Ramban. But uh, according to... uh, uh, he most probably was the greatest uh, parshan of all, the Ramban, because he integrates both the pshat and the, and the way he intellectually gets to it, arrives at it, is very, very uh, challenging. Uh, and then he also integrates Kabbalistic material, which is something rare to find in a classical parshan, where the Ramban will go over or gloss over to a paragraph that begins with the words, Valderecha emet. And, and the way of truth, that's just a code, and he's moving over to a Kabbalistic uh, thought, and you have to be well-versed in the uh, world of Kabbalah to have an idea of what he's talking about. Uh, Rav Luchnesim once quoted the Chama and the question was posed to her uh, whether or not, if a person is not acquainted with the Kabbalistic sections and background, does that affect adversely his understanding of the Pshat, that which seems to be readable, and Nechama said you can separate. She said that you can uh, differentiate between the Ramban's pshat and then he moves over to the Kabbalistic side. There are some who vehemently disagree and they believe that the Ramban, when he incorporates the Kabbalistic material, it's there to augment the understanding of the pshat. So if you don't understand what he's saying in the Kabbalistic side, you're really not getting a full understanding of the pshat. I'm not here to decide you know, where the truth is but um, at least we know that there are different points of view on this. Um, the, the section of the Chukotai is read, as the Gemara tells us, that Ezra HaSofer, the Anche Knesset approximately 2,500 years ago, instituted that before Shavuot and before Rosh Hashanah, we should read the uh, Brachot and Klalot, the section what we call the Tochacha, the section that gives uh, elongated brachot and klalot, klal Yisrael, one in Sefer Vayikra, which is Parshat Bechukotai, and one in Parshat Kitavo, which is Sefer Dvarim. So this is what it says there in the Gemara. When you check the calendar, you'll find out that we never read Bechukotai, the Shabbat before Shavuot, and we never read Kitavo, the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah. There's always a Shabbat in between. There's a Parshat Bamidbar, that precedes Shavuot every year, and there's a parshat Nitzavim that precedes Rosh Hashanah every single year. And there, there, the Baleatosafot they try to give some understanding that there are remnants of the theme of Kitavo in parshat Nitzavim, so therefore it's appropriate to read that before Rosh Hashanah. And with regard to Bamidbar, it's a little bit of a struggle. But our Rebbe Rav Soloveitchik had something to say about this. Um, that why we read Bamidbar before uh, Shavuot. But it, so it's a, a little bit uh, under two weeks. It's like a week and a half or sometimes under two weeks before uh, Shavuot or Rosh Hashanah that we actually read Bechukotai. And they are done before Shavuot and, and Kitavot before Rosh Hashanah. And the purpose is that as we enter the two phases of Matan Torah, Matan Torah, which began actually in, um, in Shavuot, but it also culminates with the end of the Yom Neroim, culminates with Yom Kippur. And so, so there was this idea that we should enter into the new year also, going into Yom Adin, knowing that, that everything is in the balance here, and we are responsible for our actions, and hence we can correct our actions. And of course, no time better than El and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Seret Bechuvah, to, to, to get that done. 
So it's a, a Kriyata Torah that's very, very, very appropriate and uh, timely to have this before Rosh Hashanah. And before Shavuot, as I said, also the, the Torah is predicated upon the idea that there's free will and there's accountability, and accountability leads to uh, reward and punishment, which is really what Brachot and Klalot are all about. So having said that, the Torah tells us, <laughs> that if you follow the mitzvot, then everything's going to be fine. It'll be peace in the land, and there'll be rain in its time, and you know you can't ask for better. But it's all dependent upon, But then the Torah says, and if not? So if not, unfortunately, the Torah unloads a whole sequel, a series of klalot, uh, one after the other. Uh, it's longer in Parshat Kitavo than in Parshat Bechukotai, and Ramban tells us that's because the first set of the Klalot refer to the first exile after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, the 70 years in Bavel. And those 70 years were, were defined. It's a very defined period. We knew from beginning to the end that it's 70 years. Yirmiyahu spoke twice of Shivim Shana. So, so th- there were actually were some people who were youngsters at the time of the destruction of first Beit HaMikdash and lived to see the second Beit HaMikdash. In the Navi, it says that the, when they built the second Beit HaMikdash, so the, the, the young kids, all they knew was Galut, exile, so they were dancing the horror. But the elders were crying, and they were saying, Hevra, Zeloze, this is not what it was all about. The second Beit HaMikdash, on a qualitative scale, was so much lower than the first Beit HaMikdash, and, and these elders are telling their grandchildren, you know, you don't know what a Beit HaMikdash is. You know, we saw the Beit HaMikdash. This is a cheap uh, copy of what it was. So comes the Navi, Chagai, and he consoles them, and he says, Don't worry, the last one will be greater than the first. The question is, what was the consolation? So some say, well, it lasted 420 years, and the first only 410 years. No, on the whole 10 years, that was the consolation. Between, so there's a whole share about this, I'm not going to do this now, that the second Beit HaMikdash actually kicks into the third, so it was actually a very, very long-range promise, and it was consoling, no doubt. So uh, the, 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 that's the difference, there's a quantitative difference and a qualitative difference between the first and the second sets of the Tochacha. But in theory, they're both saying the same thing. You follow the mitzvot, it's going to be fine. You don't follow the mitzvot, it won't be fine. Which, of course, generated the, the age-old question of tzaddik veralo, rashav tovlo. You know, we know some people who are really tzaddikim, and it doesn't, life doesn't uh, work out well, well for them. And we know people who are rishayim, very wicked people, and they seem to be living a life of wonders. So, so of course, the Rab, Rabbah master, everybody asks the question. The Gemara asks the question. And there are, you know, a zillion answers. Of course, the best answer is we don't know. And uh, we don't know. You don't know God's way of thinking and His cheshbonot, His calculations, and so on. But it's a question. It's, it's a serious question. I recall back um, the eve of the Six-Day War. So now I'm ninth grader, 1967. And um, it was a week before the war broke out. Uh, and we had a Rosh Hashiva in my high school. And he gave a talk. And there was a lot of tension in Eretz Israel at the time. If you remember, three weeks before, the Egyptians uh, threw out the United Nations from Gaza. And they threw out the, the United Nations from the Straits of Tehran. And they set up their own uh, cannons there to close the waterways. Israel could not send ships to Eilat. It was, it was an act of war, an international act of war, which the world just sat by passively and didn't let anything happen, and the, all the other armies of the Arabs, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, mobilizing, and we had no braira, we had no choice, but we had to preempt, which we did, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, just let us glide through in six days. But before that happened, there was an enormous amount of tension. So this Rosh Shiva gets up in the Beit Midrash in Borah Park, and he gives us this whole fire and brimstone, uh, this uh, talk, and you know why there's no shalom ba'aretz? You know, because there's no bechukotai telechu, they're not keeping the mitzvot, and, the, and there's only poshe Yisrael. And you know, I had to listen to this, you know, from, from this Rosh Hashiva. And three days later, everything turns around. So what happened? Everybody became balei tshuva? <laughs> you know, trying to figure this one out. <laughs> if that was the case, if that was true, but he said a few days earlier, then how come, at the end of the day, there was peace in Eretz Yisrael? I mean, it's not, it wasn't lasting peace, but 
Certainly, we averted a war, and it was one of the greatest moments in the United Israel's history, no doubt, but it did not go along with any tshuva mo- movement at all. Nothing really changed. I mean, there was, there was hit orurut. There was no question it was orurut, but that's not what brought about the war. There was hit orurut, an awakening, after the war. After the war. But not so much before the war. We were very, very nervous, very tight, and the war broke out, and, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, and, and this Rosh Hashiva, you know, stood there with his sicha uh, the Friday before and everything. It, it taught me a great lesson that, uh, you know, d- d- don't predict uh, the news and you don't know what's going to happen. You have to sit tight and wait and see how things will unfold. And certainly to make assessments, religious theological assessments on the basis of current events, we really don't know what direction it's going. Um, one should be very, very careful one's words. Ramban deals with the issue of health. Because the Torah tells us in Parshat B'chutai, Basiroti Machala, that the Kedosh B'chut will remove illness. That's wonderful news, remove illness. And uh, God forbid, if Imlotishmu, uh, there will be illness. That's one of the ills of society, of human nature, of human beings illness, sickness, and so on. It causes a lot of pain and suffering. So Ramban has a very, very unusual, takes an unusual position on our attitude towards medicine in general and uh, medical help and procedure and treatment in particular. Bearing in mind that the Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, was also a physician. Also a physician. Not just the Rambam. We know Rambam was a physician. Everybody knows that. But the Ramban also knew medicine and to a certain degree practiced medicine. There's a big difference between somebody who has the theoretical knowledge Somebody who practices, he, he himself, not, not that he had a clinic every day. The Rambam does tell us that he ran a clinic every day. And he was very busy as a doctor for many years of his life. The Rambam wasn't that busy uh, most of his life as a doctor, but he was a physician. And he, was, he appreciated, without a doubt, medical science. And yet, Ramban comes up with a very interesting view that seems to negate the need to seek out medical help when necessary. Seek out medical help when necessary. Now we're familiar with the, um, uh, the religion called Christian science. Christian science believes that the good Lord ordained whether a person will be healthy or not. And if the good Lord ordained that you won't be healthy, who do you think you are to intervene that the person should become healthy again? The, the, this is their belief. And this became a very big issue in the United States because uh, if a person is comatose and belongs to the, this uh, group called Christian Science and the medical f- uh, world would like to uh, do an intravenous, you know, would like to operate, would like to do some type of inter- medical intervention, uh, well, what about freedom of religion? My religion says no intervention. And then, you know, if a person is comatose and he cannot say if he wants it or not, <coughs> And the state come in, step in, and say, "Too bad, you know, you have to. We, we, our obligation is that you should live, even though it overrides freedom of religion." I mean, we know that if somebody comes up with a religion that after breakfast you have to shoot somebody, that's not going to stand up in the Supreme Court under the clause of freedom of religion. That's retzach. That's murder. And to that degree, while I may give an extreme example, the Supreme Court, the United States, believes that if somebody says that uh, I want to, they should let me die and not let the medical world intervene, to a certain degree it's suicidal, and society has an obligation to prevent it, uh, against the clause of freedom of religion. But this was kicked around in the Supreme Court often enough. So, what is the Ramban actually saying? So let's take a look at source number one, and what I did was I broke up the Ramban in, in five paragraphs, just to make it easier so we can find things on the page here. But it's all one long section with breaks. These brachot that the Torah teaches us, there is as simple as just, just read them and you understand them. Rain in its time, good health, you know, peace in the land. You don't need a big parshan to explain to you what these brachot are all about. We all understand them. With regard to rain that provides sustenance, the shalom that there'll be peace and there'll be procreation. All of these brachot, they don't need elaboration. 
אינן כמו הברכות שבירך כבר בקצרה. The Torah actually talked about these in, in brief, and here the Torah is a little bit more expansive. But the Torah says, "Uverachet lachmacha v'atmeimecha v'asiroti machalam mikrebecha" is already mentioned in Parshat Mishpatim. So some of these brachot we've heard about already. Kisham yaftiach b'machal mishte. There the Torah was talking about. I'm promising you bread. Promising you. Here the Torah is speaking about rain that brings about the successful agriculture. The bracha will uh, take place and there will be adequate amount of nutrition that there will be no disease uh, in your body. The Ramban takes a stand which he talks about in other parashiot as well that kosher food is by definition healthy food. So if you want to be healthy eat a lot of schmaltz right? <laughs> Kishka, right? Ribbonish, right? Right? Yeah, a lot of chopped liver, pchar, right? I mean, bless our grandmothers. The most unhealthiest things on the menu are Jewish foods. Jewish foods. Right? We thrived on it. We thrived on it, right. Right. We look like we're doing pretty good here. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. So the Ramban believes that the non-kosher variety of foods mentioned in Parshiot of Shmini and Re'eh are by definition unhealthy foods. And, um, and therefore, the Torah says, I will provide for you good food when you get to Eretz Yisrael and you will be healthy. It goes hand in hand. The health goes hand in hand with the blessing that we will have good food. And he says, The seeds are going to be wholesome and healthy. They will, uh, the seeds will produce appropriately and we will live long life. And he quotes the relevant pasuk from Mishpatim. And there in Pashat B'Shalach it says in the next line, I'm your physician. God's saying, I'm your physician. Indicating... You don't really need Dr. So-and-so. The fact that he happens to be your grandson doesn't make a bit of a difference. You don't need him, right? He wasted his time going to medical school because and you spent $50,000 a year to make sure that he became a doctor. No, 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 no. Ki'ani Hashem Rofecha, right? He should have become a pilot instead of, a, a, you know, a doctor. Ki'ani Hashem Rofecha. V'atambazeh, the reason is, all of these brachot are miracles. Why are they miracles? Because if God is ordaining it, that by definition is a miracle. Ramban, in a different section, in the end of Parshat Bo, he becomes very expansive about the difference between two types of miracles. One is the dramatic miracle that everyone can see. The splitting of the Red Sea, Kriyat Yamsuf. The Medrash says, The Shifcha, the, the, the servant, the maid, the maid saw more of godliness than the Prophet Yecheskel. I mean, how can you miss it? That was a drama. Ramban says, when a miracle occurs over and over and over and over again, it just becomes natural to us, and you forget the fact that it was a miracle. So the Ramban says that the greatest miracle of all in the desert was man that fell for 40 years. Because by the time the 39th year came around, you, you equated it with the law of gravity. You, you, it was just natural. You know, where's breakfast? Hey, open the door. It's on the... It's, on the, it's there. You know, cornflakes waiting for you. That's all. It's waiting for you. The, um, so that, according to Ramban, is the type of miracle of Nes Nistar. So if the, the meteorology works out in your favor, the agriculture works out in your favor, you can call it Mother Nature. It's wonderful. Everything cooperated. Or you can say Mother Nature with a capital letters. That is a Kadosh Baruch So that's called a Nes Nister. It's a hidden miracle. And a person who's a believing person, a believing Jew, believes in Nes Nister. So this is the idea of good health. A Kadosh Baruch will provide it. And God forbid the contrary. In source number two, the continuation, It seems that this is the way the the laws of nature uh, continue. 
כי אם הצדיק האחד יחיה ויסיר השם מחלה מקרבו וימלא ימיו, יקרה גם זה בקצת רשעים. שאז איפה הקדוש ברוך הוא already implanting this type of blessing in this world, so a next door neighbor Russia is going to benefit from it as well. Because it's not going to rain just in my parcel of a field, and by the neighbor who's an, a, a vicious evil person, in his parcel of land it's not going to rain. That would be an outright open miracle if that would happen. But here, Kadosh Baruch Hu provides rain to the region. So rain to the region, and the grain grows in the region, and everybody benefits from it, including some Rishayim. That's all. And that's how the Rambani tackles this whole question of Rashav Tovlo. How does it work out? They're, they're, they're reading from the overdraft, from, the, from what the Tzaddik is being rewarded, except that it's spilling over into others, so they're, they're licking up some of the profits, some of the dividends and some of the rewards. But the Ramban says, this is how Kadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. If you jump to source 3, in the middle of the page, Am Yisrael, they're supposed, supposed to be perfect, right? Ramban is uh, fantasizing here, right? Am Yisrael, the Shlemim and Rabim. Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't function with us just with laws of nature. Not with regard to our physical body and health, not with our land. Not in general and not in particular. God will bless our bread and our water. And remove the illness from within. They'll never need a doctor. And seek out medical attention. You'll never have to resort to this. As it says, Ramban here is painting an ideal picture. An ideal picture. He's not saying it, 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 this is the case on the ground today. But he's explaining the psukim. That if you want to know <coughs> the ideal vision of what the Torah has for Am Yisrael, then if all goes right, there will be no need to seek out medical attention because everybody's going to be healthy. Perfectly, perfectly healthy. It's a wonderful vision. Now, of course, the Ramban knows that we're far from that ideal vision. And he will go on to say, we'll see it in a moment, that in the absence of that possibility of reliance on the Kadosh Baruch Hu for our good health, you have no other recourse but to turn to medical attention. And hence, there's no contradiction by the fact that the Ramban makes this great statement that Am Yisrael has no need for medical attention, and Ramban functions as a physician, and he's, uh, he's working to cure people. Because, you know, we're not there yet. We're far from being there yet, and we do, on a practical level, have no other choice. Why? Because we're not at the level of total reliance on a Kadosh Baruch Hu. It's a problem within us. And he goes on to say, In the days of when there was prophecy, the days of Bayit Rishon, it could be that it was a sin that caused them to be sick. There's a Gemara that expresses this. Ein mita below chet, ein yisurim below avon. There's a cheshbon, there's a calculation for everything. Everybody's dying, there's a reason. Everybody's getting sick or being uh, suffering, there's a reason. And it has something to do with some uh, spiritual deterioration. And They never went to doctors. You don't see anywhere in the Tanakh that Chizkiah uh, Melech gets sick, he goes to a doctor. He calls for a Navi, he calls for Yeshayahu a Navi. Rak Naviim. Kinyan Chizkiah when he was sick, he did not seek out doctors. Well, why does it, the Navi even mention the word doctors? Because obviously some people did go to doctors. They had no choice. Why? Because they weren't at the level that the address for sickness was the Navi. They weren't there yet. But Chizki HaMelech was there yet, was there already. And, and, um, and the Navi is supposed to provide uh, religious guidance. Religious guidance. And, and by the way, what was the guidance that Yeshayahu provides to 
Chizkiah Melech. So Chizkiah Melech had a, an insight, a future insight, that he's going to bring a child into this world, Menashe. Now here Chizkiah Melech undoes years and years and years of idolatry worship in Eretz Yisrael. He was the Melech of Judah in Judea area, Yushalayim and so on, the outlying areas. And this is going on from after the days of Shlomo Melech. And finally, Chizkiah Melech succeeds in this religious reform to bring everybody back. And he sees that he's going to have a son who's going to name Menashe, who's going to bring it all back again. He's going to bring all the Avodah back again. So what does he think he has to do? Contraception. Not bring a child into this world. And because of that, he gets sick. And the Navi tells Chizkiah Melech, that's not your business what's going to be. You have a mitzvah of Piriyah You have to bring children into this world. What your son ultimately is going to do, that's going to be his cheshben, his calculation, his file. Not yours. Not yours. That, that in itself is very instructive. Because uh, sometimes a person is in a situation where you know you have to do something. It's not just a, an Eitzah Tova, maybe. You know you have to do something. But you don't want to do it because you're worried about the ramifications. Sometimes you do have to worry about the ramifications and sometimes not. You have to be careful with uh, how to handle this. But um, this is what the Ramban saying. Um, those who went to the Nevi'im did not require at all the service of the doctor. Then in the fourth chapter, fourth uh, source, he gives a source even from Days of the Gemara, but I want to jump to source five, the bottom of this. And now the Ramban has to give us an explanation. If I'm right, that there's no need to go to a doctor, how come the Torah on personal injury says, There are five uh, compensations, monetary compensations, that you have to pay if you injure a person. Nezek, Tsar, Ripui, Shevet, and Boshet. Nezek is calculate the damage in money. That's not an easy thing. You, you know, you knock the guy's eye out, so uh, what are you going to do? Take his eye out? You don't do that, but you have to set it up like if your person's on the workforce. Uh, what kind of job can you get if you have two eyes? And what kind of job can this fellow get now that he only has one eye? Obviously, his, his value on the work market is going to be less. That's called the nezek. That's called the damage. So it's measurable financially. Tsar. How do you measure somebody's pain? You know, sometimes doctors will ask you, I'm sure you've been asked this question, you come in, you have a pain, right? You have a, you have, you have a pain in the head, you have a pain in the knee, you have a pain here, you have a pain there, right? He's never going to ask you if you have a pain in the neck, because that he knows already. <laughs> the... Uh, if you have a, he's going to ask you from one to ten, you know, where, where is that pain? And that's a tough question. My father, Shalom, used to answer the question, 11, right? And I told my father, I said, the doctor's never going to know. He's never going to know what kind of pain you have. If every time, you know, it's 11, you know. You have to really gauge. And, um, and it's a difficult question. I remember last year, a year and a quarter ago, when I had the mice have a slip disc, and I was at an emergency room, and they asked me that question also. I said, uh, I said four or five. I, I, I knew I didn't, I didn't want to exaggerate, and I was still you know, completely in control of myself. So it wasn't that I was you know, doubling over in pain and everything, but it was hurting, you know. So I said uh, four, five. It was a reasonable thing. And the doctor said, okay, but said, at least you had an idea of, of what we're talking about, and you, and you have to have that kind of... Uh, that, that kind of uh, idea. So the Gemara so says this, Nezek Tsar, Ripui. Ripui means medical bills. You know, they had to call an ambulance, a mother charged you a few hundred shekel, and, and the emergency room, they took a, a bill, you didn't have Kobat Cholim, and you wanted to see a specialist, and you had to do a, uh, an x-ray or a CT or an MRI, they took money for this. Who's going to pay the bill? You gave them the punch, you know, so you're going to pay the bill. Ripui. Shevet. It's not going to work for two weeks. And this is pre-Bituach Lumi. Who's going to pay? He's, he's, he's unemployed. He's out of work for two weeks. Who's going to pay the bills now? And bullshit. Imagine walking around, especially if it's a woman, walking around with a black eye, a blue eye. You know, she's, going to, she's not going to go outside for two weeks till it heals. So that's bullshit. Everybody with their level. And bullshit is also something that's very difficult to measure. The Mishnah says, 
everybody in their level of busha. You know, some people, they couldn't care less if they walked out with a black eye, and some people do care. So, uh, so that, that's something the halakha takes into consideration. What the charts are to measure these things. But one of them is ripui, medical attention. And it's based on the pasuk, in parshat mishpatim, verapo yirapay. And you should see to it that he has medical attention. See to it in the sense that you have to pay for it, but also if the Torah is saying you should see to it that he has medical attention, medical attention is, is okay in the eyes of the Torah. How can the Rabban come along and say, you know, the one second, why, why didn't the Torah say, oh, you're hurting? <laughs> go to a Navi, you know, <laughs> go say a few Purakim Tillam and it'll be fine. Torah doesn't say that. Torah says, and the Gemara says, we look back in source number five, in Masechet Babakama, it says, From here you see that Torah grants a license for the physician to heal. Ramban says, it doesn't say that the... There are pages, David, David, there are pages over there. It doesn't say that there's Rishut L'chole L'Hitrapot. The Torah never said that there's permission granted for the person who's sick to go be healed. <laughs> if the choyle, the sick, the injured, shows up at the doctor, he's knocking on the door and is asking and begging for medical attention, then the Torah says, help him out. Help him out. But Torah never told the person who was injured or sick, go to the doctor in the first place. That's how the Ramban reads this. This person, yeah, this guy goes to doctors. He doesn't belong to that group of godly people. So the doctor should not withhold treatment. That's how the Ramban understands the Pasukim, the Pasukim, Mishpatim, But in theory, this shouldn't have even happened because the fellow should have seek, sought out the address of a, a, a divine person to find out what to do. And at the end, he, he uh, ends off again. I'll It's not that uh, you shouldn't go to a doctor because you think he's going to make a mistake and you're going to die from his treatment. No, let's even assume he's an expert in the field. This is not a person who's, who's saying, ah, he heals everybody. I mean, you see, this guy goes to doctors, so he doesn't really think that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to be the one to heal. Person who gets hurt because somebody threw a rock at him or threw a punch at him. The person who delivered the punch has the obligation to pay for the medical bills. Torah doesn't rely on miracles. And even though this was good health is a hidden miracle, but it's a miracle anyway, and if you're not up there, not level, that madriga, to really believe in that level of nesnister, go to the doctor. A doctor's going to heal you. He'll do what he can. And the last line, But a person who is a fellow who is always on the derech ritzon Hashem, everything he does is ritzon Hashem, he has no business with doctors. No business with doctors. That's the rampant. Now, it's a, it's a tough one. <coughs> because Ramban's point of view did, not, did, never, did not become normative. It did not become normative on a practical level. Most probably because since the days of Chizkiah Melech, how many people were really up there to live that type of life of Kiani Hashem Rofecha? And we do seek out metal tension. So Ramban feels, all right, you know, it's uh, second fiddle, so it's a soup bet. So, yeah, Vakshar Rivka. Oh, there's a Mishnah at the end of the Seven Kiddushin. It says, Tov la rofim le Gehenom. The best of the doctors are on their way to Gehenom. So there are many, many different, yeah, many ways to explain that. I once said a hespit for a friend of mine who was a doctor and died young in Bersheva. And, um, I, and he was an excellent doctor. I mean, really, he was a pediatrician and an absolutely superb doctor. And unfortunately, he died young. He, uh, so I said that sometimes a person has 
a scenario that's a Gehenim scenario. The scenario, the medical situation is so bad, if that's where you're up to, seek out Tov Shiborofim. Seek out the best of the doctors. Because I read it the other way. Instead of Tov Shiborofim, Gehenom, I said, if you happen to have a Gehenim situation, seek out the Tov Shiborofim. That's not the pshat of what the Mishnah is saying, but made for good. What was that? Tov Shiborofim, Gehenom. That's what it says. The Mishnah at the end of Masachit Kiddushin. Tov Shiborofim, the best of doctors, on their way to Gehenim. That the pshat is, by the way, the two things. One, exactly what Jay said, that, uh, that there are doctors who think they're playing the role of God. A Rivka said it. That uh, playing the role of God. So you're playing the role, you think you're playing the role of God? You know, you know, you don't belong in Ganeiden for that. That's the one way. The other is, because invariably, the doctor's going to lose some patients. And sometimes either because of his own negligence. It can happen. I mean, why do you think they pay a, a fortune for, uh, for, for insurance, for uh, malpractice insurance? Because of this, these things happen. We're human beings. And the second is, even if it's not malpractice, sometimes, you know, something happens and, and you lose a patient. There is a vort that says, uh, you know, who's the good doctor? The one who fills up the cemetery. You know, if the, if the doctor made so many mistakes already... So he's the good doctor because he knows what can go wrong in so many different cases. That's the doctor you want. You want the doctor who is experienced enough that unfortunately lost some patients already and he understands why. And obviously, hopefully, that wouldn't happen again. So there are different explanations to Tov Shorobofim, Yiberofim, Legehenom. But the Ramban posits a point of view that's just you know, way beyond any of our uh, expectations. And it's just not normative at all, at all. But there is a, another view that's somewhere in the middle, and we'll see it in a moment, is a Rashi's view, that while you may go to a doctor, you should really understand that it's a Kadosh Baruch doing the healing, and the doctor is nothing but a shaliach. He's, he's, he's acting on behalf of God, on behalf of God. And that's something I think we can all live with. That the, the doctor, with all this training and all that, he requires what we call siyata deshmaya, the, the Kadosh Baruch Hu's guiding hand, working him behind him, pushing him the right direction, giving him the right ideas. That, that is, that is a, a healthy way, a healthy way of seeing it. I can tell you, my father Shalom, once had a, a, a back operation in the Sharit Tzedek. Uh, so he had an orthopedic surgeon, a very fine fellow, uh, uh, Dr. Sabato. So he happens to be a Kayin, and I don't want to get into the whole business how a Kayin became a doctor, but this is an illustrious Torani family, you know, from the Rav Sabatos, one after the other. Uh, so obviously he had a green light to study medicine. And uh, my father came in the day before for the pre op and everything, and so seven in the morning, my father's on the eighth floor in Sharit Tzedek in the seven o'clock minion, and who's there? The surgeon. And he's going up for Birkat Kohanim, for Duchening, for Birkat Kohanim. When he comes down for Birkat Kohanim, he walks by my father and he said, I had you in mind during Birkat Kohanim. My father felt so good, so good, that, that he was brought into the picture in Birkat Kohanim. And, and surgery was perfect. No, Baruch Hashem, he was, uh, and, and the doctor himself said over and over, he's just doing the Lord's work. That's all. Who's doing the job, but he's the intermediary. Nothing more than that. A doctor that has that attitude is a very, very good doctor. That's not the Gehenom, that's the Ganeidim. That, that's a, a serious doctor. So we'll see that maybe Rashi has that. But let's, let's jump at the Gemara now. It's the source number six on top. This is where the Ramban comes from, where he took that line out of Baba Kama. The Tanya, it says in Abraita, the Bey Rab Yishmael Omer, Verapo Yerape, Mikan Shenitan Rishut Lerofe Lerapot. What does the word Rishut mean? Permission granted. Now, reshut does not necessarily mean obligation. It means that if you want to do it, you can do it. Many, more often than not, in halachic language and jargon, reshut means optional, as opposed to chova. Chova means obligatory. Reshut, you can do it. It's not an avera. You want to do it, you do it. Give an example. First night of Pesach, you have to eat matzah, chova. 
Cholamoid, we should. You want to eat matzah, eat matzah. You don't want to eat matzah. No, you don't have to eat matzah on Cholamoid Pesach. You can't eat chametz, but you don't have to eat matzah. So the Dalaka calls it, we should. What does it mean? Permission granted. What, you think that you couldn't eat matzah? Anybody think uh, in his right mind that a Cholamoid or Shvish or Pesach, he can't eat matzah? Everybody knows you could eat matzah. So we should means it's not a chuvah. It's put it, pitted against chuvah. We should. But sometimes Rashut means more than permission granted. It's a, it's a positive thing. Even though it does not say the word obligation. Um, similar to the word tzorach, need. Arba'at tzrichim lehodot. Four individuals should express thanks to Kadosh Baruch Hu, translated into halachic language, birkata gomel. Four scenarios. So the Rav once said, the Rav Salvech once said, why didn't say Arba'a Chayavim Lehodot? Why does it say Tzrichim? Because he said that with regard to Goimel, there's a subjective call here. Two people can be sick, practically the same illness. One is a total kfetch and he thinks he's dying, and Baruch Hashem, he gets better. And the other realizes that's a nishkefel, it's not so terrible, I'll be, I'll be healthy next week, I'll go back to work. So the first person, it wasn't a dangerous situation. First person was a calamity. It was in a zone, so he gets better. Bench is going on. Second one it was a it was a little worse than a cold, but we got over it. And and same thing with the, with the whole question of uh, goimel after uh, flights. You know, for some people it's a panic just flying in an airplane. You know, the bench goimel when you get off. And some people riding on a on a cab is more dangerous than flying in a plane, which by the way it is <laughs> a lot more, a lot more. It's four thousand times more dangerous to ride in a car than fly in a plane. By the way. 4,000 times, statistically. So, uh, just you should you know, keep your bearing. But I once sat next to a woman who was just, she was going ding-batty the whole flight. I mean, she really, she was neurotic about the whole thing. And by the landing, she, I tried to calm her down. I said, lady, a landing, there's nothing to it. It's only a controlled free fall out of the sky. <laughs> it's an excellent definition. I got it from the flight school. It's an excellent flight school on Microsoft. That's the definition of a landing. A controlled free fall out of the sky. The lady wanted to open the window and pop herself out. I was very soothing and, you know, comforting at that moment. Sada, you know. Sachakol, the landing. Mikan, nitan, shenitan, reshut, the rofei, the rapot. Now take a look what the Rambam does with this. And this is in the context of Perush HaMishnah, Masechet Nedarim. What does the Mishnah say? The Mishnah there talks about if you make a neder, a promise, an oath, that um, you don't have anything to do with your neighbor. Why? You're broigus. That can happen, right? Neighbor, break down relationships with your neighbors. You don't have anything to do with them. Okay, so now all of a sudden... You, you, you need a screwdriver, and you don't have. But the neighbor, he's a carpenter. Too bad, you can't go to him. He's mudar hana'ah. I don't have anything to do with him. But what if you're a doctor, and the neighbor is sick, so are you allowed to heal him? What about mudar hana'ah? So that's, the Mishnah says, yeah, you are allowed to. Rifuot nifashot. So rifuot nifashot, the, Ram, the Ramam explains in his Mishnah commentary, hu oto urufuat mamon, there's two things in the Mishnah, Rufuat Nefashot and Rufuat Mimono. How do you cure somebody's money? It doesn't mean his money, it means his living property, which means his animals. So if you happen to be a veterinarian, so maybe you cannot, as a veterinarian, help the animal of the neighbor if the neighbor is mudar hana'a, it's out of my life because of a neder. But if it's to help him personally, because he was sick, you do have to. And what you're allowed to do is give the guy advice what to do with the animal. You can't deal with it yourself, but mutarlo lomarlo mayo illevemto. You're allowed to tell him, listen, do such and such, and 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 hope for the best. It's now to physically handle the animal of this neighbor. And they never were prohibited, even in the context of a neder, to healing the neighbor who's mudarana because it's a mitzvah. Now look at the Ramam says, Klomar, that is to say, Shechayav harufei minhadin lerapot cholei Yisrael. It's not just a permission granted status, but it's obligatory. It's obligatory to heal. 
And the Rambam doesn't derive it from Virapo Yirape. He says, This is part of what the Torah says in the context of returning lost articles. It says, And here, man lost his health. And by you curing him, you've returned the stolen article, which was a lost article, which was his health. So it's a Shabbat Avita. He sees it in a different context. And, and the Ram says it's an obligation. And in source number six, in the Mishnah Torah, he repeats it. <coughs> so the author of the Kesef Mishnah, who's Rav Yosef Karo, the famous Rav Yosef Karo, on the Rambam, on the section of the Rambam, source number nine, he explains. Mashikatav, what the Ramam says, Mutar lo the Rapotopia do Yalada cure with the hands, that's a Mishnah. Umirap o Rufuata Nefesh. And Vamrinan Birushalmi in the Talmud Yurushalmi, it says, Afilu Yeshlo Mishirapenu, even if the neighbor has somebody else, you can call another doctor. Shalominakol Zohe Zohelitrapot. Yeah, yeah, you can call another doctor, but you know no two doctors are the same. And you know, why do you feel more comfortable by going to your doctor? And you know what happens when your doctor retires? You go into a frenzy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to start looking for a new doctor. You get comfortable with the person. Comfortable in the sense that you can talk to the person. You feel confident that the person knows what your situation and your issues are. And, and just because there's another doctor on the block, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be the one to help the neighbor, even though he's mudar hana'ah. Shalom minakol litrapot. A person's health has all to do, <coughs> has a lot to do also with the choice of doctor. That's why people try to seek advice many times. Who's the best specialist in a particular area? I mean, you open up the book of Kupat Cholim, you got plenty of cardiologists and plenty of this and plenty of that. So why don't you just pick it up? And so, no, 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 no. You want to hear from somebody. <coughs> a recommendation. Lominakol zochem lehitrapot. I think it's a very, very telling uh, comment. It actually it goes to uh, a psychological issue here. I once had the occasion to ask the Rav a question um, about a Gemara in the Seven Brachot. It said, Al birkat hediot kala Don't take a bracha of a simple person, uh, you know, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. You know, treat seriously every bracha that any individual gives you. So I said, look, I've heard of the phrase, Tzadik Gazer HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mekayim. Tzadik, you know, ordains, HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens. I don't know how that works, but at least it makes some sense. The Tzadik may have some, some extra, some credit, and he's bar t- tapping into it, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is willing to give me the benefit of the doubt on the basis of his credit. Okay. But what is a Birkat Hedyot? A simple person. The understanding is that person has no credit in the bank. So, so he tells you, have a nice day, feel good, and so on. You should be matzliach, you know, you should be successful in whatever endeavor you're doing. What, why, why should I, why does the Gemara say, birkat don't treat it lightly. So Rav told me something very fascinating. He said that he believes that 60% of success in life is the will to succeed. The very will to succeed. The problem is that life is an obstacle course. And there are all kinds of michsholim, obstacles on the way. When somebody tells you, have a nice day, that person has removed one of the obstacles in that obstacle course. And therefore, your will to succeed has been fortified and strengthened. And the Rav said this is true in, in, in business areas, in health areas, in social areas, whatever area it is, you have to want to succeed. Ask any doctor who's a physician for 30 years how many times he's seen patients with similar illnesses and one made it and one didn't and it was all in the attitude. It was in the attitude. So, I mean, they're doing the same thing, the same surgery, same procedure. How come with one they make it? Because one came into the hospital knowing he's not coming out of the hospital. And the other one came into the hospital already making preparations for the, for the kid that she's going to make in shul three weeks later. That's the difference. That is the difference. It's in the attitude. And the Rav said, that's why it's our obligation, every person's obligation, 
to remove as many obstacles that we can so make people feel good. And one of them is to say good morning. Shalat Shalom. Just say good morning. You know, when you pass somebody in the street, uh, Bennett said this at the, at the Tekes of the uh, Pras Israel. Let's try this. I mean, those of you from Switzerland know this. I mean, I learned this in 2006. I didn't understand what people were telling me. Grüzi, 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 you know, and Arbent, Morgan, you know, they were in all these words until I figured out they were telling me good morning, you know, and I was saying good morning to the guy and to the dog and everything. And at uh, 7 in the morning, I'm running to shul. Morgan, 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 Morgan. And you know what? It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I don't do it every day to everybody, but on Shabbat at least, I try to say Shabbat Shalom to everybody. And some people, you know, at, at best they grunt after they heard it, you know, like, but it's something we should be doing. We should be doing because it means recognition. It means recognition. It means that somebody took note of your existence. And that makes you smile. That makes you feel good. You're not alone. You've been taken out of your loneliness, even if it's for a fraction of a second. It's something. It is something. It lights up a uh, sunshine in the in the eyes for a, for a moment, and 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 this is very very important. That's why If the, if this doctor is, is someone you have confidence in, that means that your will to survive is going to be augmented, it's going to be strengthened and fortified, and you have a better shot. You have a better shot of survival. Very very important. And then the last idea. Uh, is the Mishnah in Masechet Sachim? Technically, it's not a Mishnah, even though it's printed with the Mishnah. Um, it's that chis, the same Chizkiyah Melech that we talked about, that he did six things, among other things, did a lot of things, more than six things, but six major things, of which three of them, Chachamim, applauded, and three Chachamim said, no good. So one of the things that he did that they applauded was in underlined, in source number 10, Ganaz Sefer Rufuot Vehodulo. He hid the book of medications, and they applauded this. Now, that's, that's really a problem. Why would somebody applaud the hiding, putting into Geniza, of the book of medications, of remedies? So in source number 11, Rashi. Rashi says, Gana Sefer Rufuot, and he brings a pasuk, and he says, Vamrinan bibrachot sheganaz Sefer Rufuot, shlefi shelo hayal libam nichna al cholim ela mitrapim miyad. What happened was the, 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 the sick people who did not bend their hearts to God in prayer, but all they did was they opened up the book, the guide for medication, and they took care of their health needs. And therefore, Chizkiah saw that nobody was turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in tefillah, so he's going to show them up. He takes the book and puts it out of service, and now the only thing left is a tillim. Now you can say tillim, and when you're sick, and that's it, we're going to teach you a lesson. Rashi's perfectly comfortable with that kind of explanation. And the Rambam goes ballistic. I mean ballistic. The Rambam usually is very, very kind even to opposition ideas. He's kind in the sense that he doesn't use harsh language. I mean, he will, he will stand up and say I, he thinks he's right and so on. Not like, let's say, the Ravid, Rabbi Avram ben David, who gets a hold, Rambam, first edition of the Mishnah Torah comes out and makes it to southern France. And the Ravid, Rabbi Avram ben David, is an old man already, hears about this Egyptian who's such a big shot, and he's writing about the whole Torah, let's see what he has to say, and he starts flipping through the pages, and every second page he scribbles, and he says, Zehevel, this is nonsense, this is about the Rambam. Okay, so we're talking about one of the greatest we're showing him, the Ravid, talking about the Rambam, who he really never knew, and he's saying, this is Shtiyot, this is Hevel, this is, ah, this is Goonish, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and I'm telling you, that's, that's the style, very sharp language, and bota, as we say, uh, the Rambam didn't use that kind of a language, except for here. Here, the Rambam goes ballistic. And he says, first of all, I want to explain to you what the Sefer Rufuot. In order to apl- understand Chachamim applauding the situation, so there must have been good reason. So the Rambam gives two possibilities. One is, it was a book of chemistry. And a book of chemistry is a theoretical book. It's not a practical guide for remedy. In the wrong hands, it's poisonous. And people were taking and using this book of chemicals, using herbs and so on, not in the proper ra- ra- you know, uh, doses, and they were dying from it. So Chizkiah realized it, this has to be put away. So he put it away, and, and he did a service to Klai Yisrael. That was one possibility, the Ramam says. And the, the other is, um, the Ramam says that um, 
It could be it was just a theoretical book for academic study. Sometimes you have a book used in the university, but that's not going to be a you know a, 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 a book that you can have at home you know to look up quickly you know what to do in an emergency situation. Like yeah, a book on anatomy. Say a book on anatomy, but but you can't use that kind of a book to translate it into practical application. So Ram says it's this or that, but there were certainly they were not books that were designed to um, to service the sick person or guide the uh, the doctor. And and Chizkiyah did right by putting it away, and the Chachamim did right by applauding this. But then he says. Why did I have to go on to explain this? I'm now going to jump to the middle of the source 12, where it begins underlined. The reason why I was very expansive here, he's apologizing. You want to know why I was uh, speaking? I went on and on in this. I heard, and some people have explained to me, Shlomo Melech wrote this book, actually. If somebody was sick with some illness, Panailav, turn to this book. All you do is follow this book and you get cured. People did not have confidence in God with their sicknesses. They were just reliant exclusively on the book. Ahmad Vigonzo, you went and put this book away. So Ramam comments, he says. That's utter idiocy. That's utter idiocy, he says. Umuvad afsut davarze. You know what the word afsut means? From the word efes. Zero. Not like in zero Coca-Cola. Because zero Coca-Cola is something, you know. Zero. Mivad afsut davarze. Umash yeshlo min hazayot. It's hallucinations. You're now assigning to Chizkiah and the Chachamim who applauded, Shaudulo, Sichlut. Sichlut means idiocy. Unparalleled idiocy. The laws that are low have that kind of intelligence. And according to this type of idiotic reasoning, somebody was hungry. And he turned to bread, and he ate the bread. Certainly, you have alleviated your uh, gastronomical pains because you were hungry. Would we say, He did not have confidence in God? Oh, you were hungry? Open up a pair of tillim, and the pain will go, will subside. Would anybody ever say something like that? Only idiots would say that. Just like I thank God for my food, God provided for me with the food, which allowed me to, to, to deal with my hunger and to give me life and existence. We have to thank that He allowed mankind to develop a medication or medical technique that will solve my medical problem. And I didn't really have to negate this ridiculous, this terrible, terrible explanation if it wouldn't have been popular. Because the Rambam says, hey, so many people are thinking this and it's wrong. It's dead wrong. And look how many times he uses the phrase whether it's garua or tipesh or efes or shibush, I mean, it's 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 un- it's unparalleled in the Rambam's writing that he would take a stab and to a, now he's taking a stab at Rashi. To, to Rambam's credit, and this I heard from the Rav Son, Rav Professor Chaim Salavechik, Rambam never heard of Rashi, even though Rashi lived a hundred years before the Rambam. Rashi is eleventh century, Rambam twelfth century. Just in case you haven't heard. They didn't have cell phones in the 12th century. They didn't have telecommunication. There was no communication between Egypt and northern France and Germany, what we call Ashkenaz. The only communication the Rambam had in Europe was Spain and southern France, Provence, and of course Yemen, Teman, a lot of communication. But nothing, 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 north France and Germany. Zero, he had no idea, Rav Chaim Salvechik said that the Rambam had no idea what was going on in the world of the Balei Atosvot. And his parallel Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi's grandson. Never heard of Rashi. Never heard of Rashi. 
So, but the perush of Rashi obviously surfaced elsewhere. And, you know, that Shlomo Melech uh, wrote this book and Chizkiah put it away because now they're going to start saying Tillim when they're sick. And the Rambam says, they can't be. It cannot be. So the Rambam really becomes a champion for medical uh, service. L'chatchila. No, it's going to Ramban, it's but bidiyavad. De facto. Okay, you know, you're not up there. You're not up there working with the Nevi'im. Okay, you have no choice. You go to a doctor. Doctor has no choice. He has to heal you and so on. It's all second rate. But according to Rambam, it's first rate. It's first rate. It's not a reshut. It's a chova. It's an obligation. And I think, um, honestly speaking, the Rambam's point of view became the dominant point of view amongst halachas and Jewish thinkers from the 12th century onward until this very day. And, and that's why, Hashem, uh, I think we have some very, very capable Talmidei Chachamim. I'll just mention one who I've, I've, I've heard from this podium more than once, Rabbi Professor Avram Steinberg from Shari Tzedek, who happens to be the editor-in-chief of the Encyclopedia Talmudit. Where exactly has the time to do that? Any Musa, I have no idea. It means a neurosurgeon, a pediatric neurosurgeon. And he's a top doctor and so on. He writes and he speaks and lectures and all over the place. I don't know where he has the time. I never understood where the Ramam had the time to do what he did either. So some people have, have more than 24 hours in a day. It's as simple as that. That's, a, that's also a shtickle ness. But, uh, but that, that's what works. So there, there are some incarnations of the, at least the Rambam's thinking um, until this very day. Okay, next week in Metz Hashem, we'll do a different topic. But I felt for Parshat Shavua purposes, this was a good idea. Hello, guys.